Praise the Lord. I love this church. Amen. Amen. I love the Lord. I love the Lord. We're so glad that he's here today. It's really all about him. Amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 3, would you rest your eyes again on verse 7? And the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things say, he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no man or no one can shut, and shut and no one can open. I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Let us pray. Father, we bless you. We thank you that you've been so good. And we really could never repay all that you have done. God, we bless you today for allowing us to enter into your courts with thanksgiving so that your will that is being executed in heaven can be experienced on earth. We bless you and we thank you in that matchless name that is above every name, Jesus the Christ. Amen. 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 We do praise God for all that he is doing through the power of prayer, through the taught word, through obedience and spiritual growth. Miracles are occurring in our church, and we're grateful for that. Maybe some of you have experienced this as I'm going to share it, walking through a lobby of a large luxury hotel and you approach two sets of large glass doors to exit the building. You go through the first set of doors, which is approximately five feet away from the next set of doors. As you stand between the two doors, the realization that there is a whole world of possibilities before you in plain sight. So you going through one set of doors and you're looking out to the second set of doors and all that you are anticipating is before you. Once you clear the first doorway, the door behind you begins to close even before the next door opens. And that can be very troubling because sometimes the door gets stuck like an elevator door and so you're in between two sets of doors, the doors that represent what you are leaving that are not completely closed, but you're prevented from going through the door that is in front of you where all of the possibilities of your future are right before your eyes, but until the door behind you is closed, the door before you cannot open. There are periods of discomfort as you wait for the door behind you to completely close. 
It is uncomfortable because the door in front of you will not open. In fact, they can't begin to close until, as I've already said, something has to close before the new thing can open. So I'm called to endure these uncomfortable experiences to bear in some of those instances actually feeling disorientated by having to wait for a door to close. And sometimes as you're standing between the doors, the door behind you will close and finally the, the door in front of you will open and then you realize that you left something behind. And if it's a key-coded door, even if you want to go behind to get what you left, the door is closed, preventing you from returning from what you have left. I want to suggest to you that the Lord has an open door before us. But before we can go through the open door, some doors in our life need to be closed. That job that is leading you nowhere fast, that door needs to be closed. That unequally yoked relationship that you are in, that abusive relationship, that dishonoring God relationship that you are in, that door needs to be closed before the door that is before you can be open. There are some things that we have learned in the door that has closed or God intends to close in our past experiences that have caused us to be comfortable. And so it, it, it is only natural and normal when you feel the pressure of a potential that if I end this, then maybe I'm going to be alone. If I end this, maybe I will not find a new job. If I end this, maybe they will not like me. And so the door is closed because God wants to move you into a new thing. And even if you want to return to that closed door, God closes doors that no one can open. And so you're in that in-between place. The door is open before you. And the door of your past that God is trying to deliver you from has shut. And sometimes we languish in between these doors because what we have become accustomed to is comfortable, even though it will lead us to the way of destruction. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13, the Holy Spirit supernaturally directs the Apostle John to write a letter to the Church of Philadelphia, not the Philadelphia that is about 45 minutes away. But the Philadelphia to which he wrote was, the, was located in a place called the Kusakas Valley near the bottom of Mount Bazdaz in what is now modern Turkey. The Church of Philadelphia was the sixth of seven churches that the Lord Jesus Christ, now in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, supernaturally instructed 
the apostle John, the beloved apostle who is now exiled on the island of Patmos, to write to these seven churches. And while those seven churches ex existed historically 2,000 years ago, the letter and the message regarding their purpose represents different historical times that reflects the state of the church throughout history. There's been a time in the church when the church was the dead church, the corrupt church, a time in church history when, the, when, the, when it's been true that the church has lost and left its first love. And so when you go through the seven letters, each one of those messages to those churches represents an epoch of time, an epoch of time that was reflected of the characteristic of the church. And for six of the seven churches, unlike the church at Philadelphia, the Lord said, I have this against you. I have this against you. The church at Philadelphia was the only of the seven churches that the Lord did not have an indictment or charge against. In spite of the church's faithfulness, they found themselves between two doors. Through one door, they could see all that the Lord had promised. But the second door that was shut prevented them from retreating from their present suffering for Christ. So while the door is in front of them, I have come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. And if God is for you, who can effectively stand against you? You're the head and not the tail. All of that is before them, but that door has not fully opened. And so now they're in between the two doors. And they're suffering not because of something wrong that they have done, but because they have decided to live for Jesus. They were unable to go through the door or retreat. And sometimes what happens in our experience, what you're going through, when you're doing your absolute best, when you can't think of a reason why you should be getting this kind of treatment, it can paralyze you. It can anger you. It can stunt your spiritual growth. It can alienate you from God. And so the Holy Spirit directs John the Apostle to write this letter to the church at Philadelphia who was discouraged and drained of energy. And his message to that church and to us today, the door is open. The door is open. Tell somebody the door is open. Hey, don't say it so enthusiastically. The door, the door is open. Let me put it this way. Maybe this will help you. My door, My door. is open. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, the promise that a door of opportunity and celebration and blessing was swinging wide open, and yet we find ourselves in between and not experiencing what is said to be in front of us could lead us to question 
It's easy for somebody to say that something is available to you if you go down to the ATM machine. But they didn't give you the combination or the, the passcode. But I want to give you the passcode today as to why you should trust the promises of Christ while you're under attack, while you're being misunderstood, while you're between the door that has closed and the one that is open, but you can't go forward because your life is under siege. You, you, you don't know, well, God, where are you directing me? Where are you? I can't hear your voice. It sounds faint. Where are you, God? We read these words at the beginning of the chapter, chapter 3, verse 7. It says, the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord to the church at Philadelphia, write, these are the words of him who is holy and true. Say holy and true. Holy. Who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one, no one can open. I know your deeds. There are at least three reasons in this small portion of Scripture that help us to understand why you can trust the Lord. I know there are 22 at least 22 uh, politicians who are biding for the presidential uh, nomination to be the singular representative to, to uh, run against our, our president. And as they debate, they're going to make a lot of promises. <laughs> and our experiences tell us that promises are made and often to be broken. But you can trust the promises of Jesus. Let me suggest to you why. The Bible says, these are the words of the one who is holy and true. And so when the scriptures describe Jesus in that way, give these demarcations and characteristics of him, it is his holiness and being true has reference to the purity of Christ, the purity of of Christ. That word is foreign to us today. We don't talk about sin and, and righteousness and light. and We don't, don't hear those words that often, but Jesus' purity is on display when the scripture says he is holy and true. That word holy comes from the Greek word hagias. Hagias in the Greek, and it comes from the Hebrew word gadosh. Gadosh, that word that is found in Isaiah chapter 6. When Isaiah, he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated on his throne, and the train of his robe was filling the temple, and there were angels that were surrounding the temple, and the angels were saying, Kadosh, 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 holy, holy, holy. That word holy means to be totally different, totally other than. It means to be sinless, to be spotless. It means to be completely separated in such a way that the person who is described in this, in this manner cannot be, cannot be approached by someone who is contaminated by sin. Jesus is Kadosh. Jesus is Hagias. He is holy. That's why we can trust him. 
He's holy. Even the angels who had never sinned, the Bible says, and the angels who were praising him had to cover their faces, and they hovered at a distance. They could not approach him without his permission. They were holy, but God is so much holier. Christ is so much holier that they had to, re they had to remain at a designated distance. He's holy, but not only is he holy, he's true, he's truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except by me. Not only is he true, but he is the source of all truth. That means that if anything is true, it's because it originates from him. He never fails. His word is yes and amen. I know he said he loved you, and if you let him, he He'd be with you forever. You let him and he left you. And so his word was not true, but the Lord never leaves. The Bible says that I stand over my word to watch it, to make certain that it, it is fulfilled. The word of the Lord is true. And he hovers over his reputation. It's, it, it's in, inextricably connected to the fulfillment of that word. He says, I watch over my word to bring it to pass. My word will never return unto me void. And so the one reason that we can trust the Lord when he makes the promise that the door, your door is open, is because of his purity. He's holy and he's true. Some years ago, Brandon was very young, and we went to one of our favorite places in Niagara Falls, New York. We went to Tarjay's to finish off some Christmas shopping. And of course, he was so young, he didn't understand that Santa Claus was at work. So as, as Santa Claus, myself, was leaving, we never taught our kids that there was a Santa Claus. No, 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 that we, we, by the grace of God. So as we're leaving the store, you had to go through this electronic, uh, uh, this uh, uh, bracket, this, uh, uh, this uh, you have to go under this uh, uh, door where there's this electronically uh, made uh, contraption. Okay, that's the best I can come up with right now. <laughs> and the purpose of this uh, uh, device is to detect if somebody's stealing. So what would happen if you walk through this uh, electronic device and you had a tag or chip on the clothes a beeper noise would go off. And so I'm getting ready to go out of the store. I'm pushing my card and paid a whole lot of money for a whole lot of stuff, and the beeper goes off. <laughs> and everybody stops what they're doing, and they immediately look towards the door. I'm not sure if Brandon said, did we steal that? Somebody, I don't know if he said that. So immediately security came in our direction. And they asked me if I would mind going to the service station. And I said, sure. And now the process starts. They take every, they want, first of all, they take your receipt. And they look at your receipt. And then they take every item and compare the item to the receipt. And as they're going through, they see that one item of, that I purchased with my money has this chip on it. That's back in the day where they had to take this special kind of equipment and they'd separate the chip. But once the chip was removed, I was able to leave Tarjay's and go home. 
how embarrassing it is. Now, I thank God that we don't have an electronic device to determine how we lived before we came here from, you know, after, you know, Saturday night. But I want you to understand that God has a sin detector in heaven because he's holy and true. And all of us were born with this tag, with this, with this chip called sin. David said, I was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. I'm naughty by nature. I have the Adamic nature, the sin nature. I'm separated from God because in Adam, we all died. And because I had that chip, I cannot on my own enter into the presence of God without that sin detector going off. But because Jesus is holy and true, he was not born with a, a sin chip in him. And so he can freely go into the presence of God on our behalf and find himself fully accepted. And therefore, every promise that he made, he's able to pull it off because he's holy and true. The purity of Christ it's the reason why you can trust him. The, the issue for some of us is we ain't struggling with trusting Christ because we don't know his promises. We don't know what he said. We know what others have said he has said. We've made God a liar because a lot of the things that we're claiming he never said. And then when what you said God told you based on what somebody said God said, now you have a problem with God. And what they told you was never something that God said or would have said. That's why you need to study to show yourself approved. That's why we need a biblical academy so that you can learn God's word. But there's another thing that makes Jesus trustworthy when you're going through. And this is the thing. We get sidetracked when people mistreat us and we're misunderstood and our good is evil spoken of. I hear the writer to Hebrews saying, look unto Jesus. He is the, not Pastor Benson, not the elders. Or the, Jesus is the author, and he's the finisher of our faith. He, look unto him because of his purity, but you can look unto him because he's got keys. Keys represent his authority. When you study the word of God, there are at least four sets of keys that are attributed to Jesus. Oh, I like what he says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. Jesus has the keys of the kingdom that allow us to loose and to bind stuff. He said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You and I have been given some keys. That's why the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. You got a key for every gate. And you can loose and bind. We got some loose and binding keys. They come from Jesus. So he has the keys of the kingdom. He also possesses another set of keys. The keys of life and death or Hades and death. Those keys also not only determine who lives and who dies how long you live and how long you die, but it, those keys that only Jesus has determines where you spend eternity. Yeah. 
He that receives the Son has life. He that rejects the Son has not life. If you don't have, if Jesus doesn't have that key to let you in to heaven, you don't go there. So in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, it says, And I am he who lives and, and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades or, or, or death and life. Now, one of the things that's interesting that God, God, Jesus, who has the keys of the kingdom that loose and bind, he gives the church the keys to loose and bind, but he never gives the church the keys of life and death. Or Satan, because if he ever gave us those keys, our friends and family would never die. Mama would never die, and, and Daddy would never die, but all of those folks that look at, that look at us strange. <laughs> we'd be taking those keys, and they'd be dropping like flies, and we wouldn't send them to heaven. We'd send them to that other place called hell. And while we're praying over people, devil, you can't have him and loose him right now. He can't die. Satan does not have the power to kill anybody without the authority that is granted to him by the Lord. If Satan had that power, he would kill every Christian today. Jesus has the keys of life and death. There's a third set of keys that Jesus has in Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. We're not going to read all those verses. The Bible says, then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven, speaking of the great tribulation, to earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. Jesus has the key to the bottomless pit. There's a portion or a section in hell where there are demons that are confined since Genesis chapter 6. But during the tribulation, Jesus will release that key to angels to open the bottomless pit called the abyss, and demons in the form of locusts will be released on mankind and bite and torment and the pain of their bite and their, and their tails will be so excruciating that men and, men and women will be begging to die, but they will not be allowed to die. And so he has the key to the bottomless pit. But there's a final key that Jesus has. He has the key of David, as we see in Revelation chapter 3. The reason he has the key of David is because he is the rightful heir to David's throne. Jesus is going to reign eternally. And so Christ is royalty. He is a, the physical, biological son, or and, and I should say from the generation, by seed-wise, uh, from David. Jesus is the rightful heir. Let's not, I don't want to get sidetracked. You still with me? And because he is the the king that will reign forever, the Bible says, every knee shall bow and every tongue is going to confess, not Buddha, not Krishna, but that Jesus is Jesus Christos, that Jesus Christ is Lord. You can trust him because of his authority. He's got keys. 
No matter what comes against you, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. When the enemy comes in like a flood, you will find a standard being raised up against him because the Bible says they that wait upon the one who has the keys, you're going to mount up with wings of eagles and you're going to soar above. Oh, he's qualified because of his authority. There's nothing that you're facing right now that you don't have a key to loosen the bind. We can trust him because of his authority. You can also trust Jesus because of his scrutiny, say, scrutiny. His purity, his authority, his scrutiny. Say, I know your works. That word know comes from the Greek word epigonosko. It means to know something from personal evaluation. The Lord says, I have turned your works inside out. I have analyzed them to determine what sort they are. Paul says, every man's works, every deed that you do, we will give an account. The Lord will determine whether it's wood, stubble, or hay, or silver, gold, or precious stone. Because we can do a whole lot and impress people, but the Lord knows between, the difference between that which is perishable and that which is imperishable. Your works, he says, I know them. I know your works. His scrutiny, he knows those tears that you shed. He knows the rejection you feel. He knows when you can't even understand yourself. I know you. I have scrutinized and studied you in detail. Let me just be honest. I was a lazy kid. <laughs> yes, I was. And I would be told, I was the oldest of nine, you cannot go outside until you clean your room. And we didn't, there was no such thing. No, it didn't matter what the weather was, we were going outside. <laughs> may put on a couple heavier clothes. It wasn't even, the heavier clothes wasn't so much to keep warm, but to anchor us just in case the wind would try to blow us away. <laughs> so the one thing I wanted to get with my buddies, and so what I would do, I would just, first I'd get angry. I'd clean up. And so what I would do is take and push everything under the bed. Sometimes I, there'd be so much to push under the bed, the legs of my bed didn't touch the ground. Gilligan's Island. I think that's where I got my creativity from. And, but the, but, the, but the, the blanket hung low to the floor. So I said, Mom, I cleaned up. Can I go? Can I go? And she said, let me scrutinize. Let me know your works. Let me epigonosco this room. Why can't you just take it based on head knowledge? Why can't you just take my word? And the first place she would look is under my bed. And then now I got an extra problem. You can't watch TV, and now you can't go out at all. That was just torture. That was life-threatening. Why would she look under the bed? Because she knew where to look. I want you to understand that there's nothing that we do that is hidden from him. And every man will give an account for what he's done. I know your works. I've scrutinized you. 
you can't play me, you don't get over on me. There's no room dark enough, no travel far enough, no locks tight enough. You can trust him because he scrutinizes. He's in scrutiny. He knows his purity, his authority. You can trust him. Here's the thing. Even though he knows everything there is to know about me, he loves me. <laughs> it's crazy. I don't know why he does. But the Bible says, even while I was yet in my sins, without strength, Christ died. I don't understand it. That's crazy love. Can't, I know, I know what it means. Can't nobody do me like Jesus. You can trust him when you're going through if you're focused on him because of his purity, his authority, his scrutiny. What did the Lord know about their works? He says, I know that you are weak. That means to work to the point of exhaustion. Have you ever been so tired and, and you, don't, you can't even get out your clothes? You just fall in the bed. And the next thing you know, it's the, it's the next day. Have you ever been like that? I'm not talking about after you stayed out all night partying. I'm talking about <laughs> when you've done something right. The Lord said, I know that you have worked for me to the point where you have no strength. You are thoroughly and totally exhausted. Nobody ought to serve the Lord like that. I can't, I, it, it always baffles me. People will station themselves in the elements for, for, week, for weeks to get the newest iPhone that only really changes the camera. <laughs> you sleeping outside in the rain, in the monsoons, and criminals. And two hours in church, we're looking at our watch, or if you go to other churches, at 12 o'clock at one hour, God, we done. We got our fill of you. He says, I know. You're weak. They served when they didn't feel like it. Have you ever done that when you didn't feel like serving? They served when others stayed home watching TV, watching their devices. They served when they could have made excuses. They served when no one noticed, when they never got any, when they didn't get any credit, they served. They served. He said, I know your works. He said, you've kept my word. Here's what makes keeping the word hard. It's one thing to bring your flesh under subjection. Paul said, I buffet my body so that I will not be disqualified. I don't want to be guilty of preaching what I don't practice. And then my testimony, the Bible says, you are the salt of the earth. But if you as salt loses its purpose, its flavor, you're good for nothing. Satan can't keep you out of heaven, but he wants to destroy your testimony so you will be ineffective for the Lord. Paul said, I buffet my body. But what makes keeping the word hard is when you're in between these doors. You're doing right. 
You want to get married. You want to have that family. You believe in God that you're not just holding on to this because you want to be like everybody. You believe God that this is what he has for you. You give your tithes. You're sharing the gospel, and you're catching hell, and often right from the people that should be supporting you the most, the church. He says, you kept my word when tempted. Anybody go, hey, all right. I know God. good. Don't look time. I've been living for the Lord for a long time. I'm sanctified until you get outside the church. Some folk don't even wait until they get outside the church. He said, I know you kept my word. He said, you refused to deny my name. How often do you use the name of Jesus in your daily life, in the context of your workplace, in the conversations that you have? Is he really Lord? He said, you have not denied my name. If you simply kept quiet about my name, people don't have a problem. If the Muslim reads their prayer, they have no problem. If you talk about Kwanzaa and, and Danza and Dixon, and Ru they don't have a problem. But mention the name of Jesus. <laughs> and now you're being religiously insensitive. You're being unfair. You're being intrusive. You're not being inclusive. You're not being tolerant. What's wrong with the name of Jesus? There's power. That's why there's no other name given under heaven whereby we must, if that's the name that the demons tremble at. He says, you refuse to deny my name. And he says, you kept my word patiently. That means that while they were in between the doors, they kept trusting. They kept trusting. Are you trusting the Lord? Are you trusting the Lord, church? Let me run on. Let me run on. How many of you understand that when you become a Christian, you are in spiritual warfare? You are in spiritual warfare. Let me run through this. Now, how will the Lord reward those who go through the open door? He said, I will make... Those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews but are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before you at what? Your feet. See that? Verse 9, I believe. And to those, and to, to know that I have loved you, so that you'll know that I love you. Because you have kept my commandments and persevered, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come. There is an hour of trial that is coming upon the world, and the more we see the evil that is mounting, things that are unimaginable happening, earthquakes and famine, people starving and people being raped and, and brutalized at the border and placed in constant, those might as well call them what they are, concentration camps. Yeah. Yes. He says, I'm going to save you from the hour that is coming upon the world, a testing, a time of testing, a time of divine judgment, for those who dwell upon the earth, behold, I am coming quickly. Say, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one make your, take your crown. You want somebody to take your crown? No. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. Permanency, eternal security. I will write on him the name of my God, that's, that's possession, and the name of the city of my God, 
and the new Jerusalem which comes down from heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. Let me quickly finish. How is God going to reward you? By going through the door. The first thing he says, I'm going to give you power over your enemies. He says to the Jews who are in the synagogue, who claim to be Jews, genuinely saved Jews, believers, the fake Christians, the ones who say that they're your friends, the ones who really aren't walking with the Lord, he says, I am at some point, I'm going to make, I'm going to give you power over them because they're really your enemies. They're enemies of the cross and your enemies will become your footstool. The very thing that you're running from and most angry about God is often using that to develop you into what he wants you to be. And if you would just hang in there, he said, I am going to, not only am going to give you, because he said the door is already open. You have power. You have authority over those things that are coming against you. Stop retreating. He says, I'm going to make them your footstool. So you have power over whatever you are facing right now. Here's the promise when you go through the open door. You have power. I'll prepare a table before you in the presence of you. Then you have perspective that is supernatural. Say perspective. Perspective. That's supernatural. That's supernatural. Say that. Notice Jesus said, see, I have set before you that word. The Greek word means pay attention. Open up your eyes. Stop being distracted. Look right in front of you while you are frustrated, while you are angry, while you're talking about throwing in the towel. The door is already open. Look. He said, I will give you perspective that is supernatural. You will be able to see in the midst of your fiery furnace that you, were, you went in as three, but now there's, there's a fourth man in the fire. You are not alone. The door is already open. Our problem, we looking. If I could just get out of this one, I don't know why they treat me like this. I don't know why I'm feeling so bad. Uh, The door, you haven't gone through the door. The house is on fire. Yes, you're in trouble. Yes, you're going to be consumed. But if you would just simply walk through the door. We walk by faith, not by sight. Elijah's servant came to him. He said, Master, Master, wake up. We in trouble, boss. Boss, we in trouble. He said, well, what's, what's going on here? He said, we're surrounded by the Syrians. We're going to die. We're going to die. I could see myself saying, fish, shut up. <laughs> Even if we are going to die, you ain't going to act like that. But Elijah, he prayed. He said, Lord, help my servants see that they that are for us are more than they that are against us. When the servant looked a second time with the eyes of faith, he saw angels and fiery chariots with chariots with swords drawn. 
Don't you know you have, an, you have angels that are, that are assigned to you, ministering angels that keep watch over you? Both day and night, he has not left you. He has not forsaken you. You are not alone. You need perspective that is supernatural. He also is going to give you protection from overwhelming pressure. Let me quickly stay with me. I will also keep you from the hour of trials which shall come. He said, I'm going to keep you. And that has reference, that's an eschatological promise, that there's coming a time on this earth and the hands of God's clock are clicking closer to the end of times with the environment that we say climate's not changing. What idiot can't tell when it's 90 degrees in Alaska that the climate hasn't changed? He said, that hour is coming, but there's going to be a pre-tribulational rapture. The trumpet is going to sound, and the dead in Christ will rise. We're not going through that time of trouble, that seven-year period. But he also promises that he will give us a way of escape from our present pressures. You don't need to cuss nobody out. You don't need to go there with nobody. The Bible says, there is no temptation that is taking you, but such that it's gone. He will make the doors open. I will make a way for you to escape protection. It's available to you. I will not allow you to be tempted above you're able to bear. Whatever you're going through, I've allowed it. But you already have a door. Will you go through the door? Will you stop trying to handle this in your flesh? Will you finally grow up? Will you finally stop allowing the devil to steal your lunch money? Here's the final thing. Protection. Perspective. Power. Prestige. That's honor and respect. He says, hold fast to what you have. Let no one take your crown. You're going to get prestige. You're going to get a crown. He said, who that overcomes, I will make you a pillar in the temple. That's prestige. You're going to have your own pillar in the temple. And he goes through. He said, I'm going to engrave your name in heaven. There's going to be a place where your name is engraved if you endure. And so there you, God, it is God who makes great. And the greatest in the kingdom is not the one who is Lord over all, but the one who is servant to all. He is the one that will give you prestige. And for me, prestige is influence. It's the ability to stand on the authority of this word and watch the power of God change people's lives. And if you look up to me, it's only because I'm looking unto Jesus, who is, as I've already said, I'm going to give you prestige, your crown, your name on the pillar in heaven, special mention to God. Does it get any better than that? The door is open. Can you open your eyes of faith? Stop looking back. God shut that door. He does not want you retreating to what he's delivered you from. Would you stand?
every time I leave the church to activate the alarm to get to the outside door. The inside door has to be closed. And then you can put the code in and it's activated. The door to go where you need to get for you will not be opened until you activate the code of faith. I will trust Christ because of his purity. I will trust him because of his authority and his scrutiny. He's going to reward me, but to activate what is yet in front of me, I have to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. And for every step of spiritual growth you make, there's a new door. A new door, a blessing. He said, I am going and desiring to bless you so much that you can't even think of it. I'm going to blow your mind. When the prophet Samuel got word from God, he said, I'm shutting the door on King Saul. I'm finished with him. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 16 that the prophet cried all night because of that door that God had shut. But crying all night for the door that God has shut that no one can open, what God is really doing, what you may be crying over, is what he's preventing you from going back to that will destroy you and rob you of your destiny. When Samuel stopped crying, when Samuel stopped compromising, when Samuel simply did what thus saith the Lord, the next door was open. A man after God's own heart named David. The door, your door is open. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you.